Welcome to Beyond the Static. I am your host, D-Wayne, and this is the podcast introducing you to your next favorite band. If you'd like to hear past episodes and see some writings and reviews, or submit your band for an interview or review, visit www.beyondthestaticpodcast.tk. I'd like to welcome any new listeners from Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cast. As always, you can listen on Spotify. This episode, I'll be doing things a little bit different. But first, a word from our sponsor and host, Anchor. My guest this episode is Greg Miller, co-host of the Album Consumers Podcast and one of the closest people to me in the entire world. I wanted to bring a little more of myself into the world of my podcast and allow listeners get to know me just a little bit better. Um, So Greg and I talk about everything from growing up, how we developed our beliefs, what our beliefs are, and a lot more. Um, This is part one of a quite extensive and intensive interview. We in here! What's up, homie? Oh, not much, man. Can you believe that of all the uh, the episodes I've done, I'm actually nervous? <laughs> <laughs> man, ain't no need to be nervous. I know. I know. Um, I don't know. I just feel like we're gonna we're gonna get into how 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 I tick a little bit, and I think for. For once, um, I kind of want to let my audience in on who I am, where I come from. So, okay, who better? Oh, by the way, um, anyone yes. who's listening, um, this is Greg Miller. So, what up? Greg Miller is as close as you can get to a brother to me without sharing DNA. Um, this band has known me since uh, I was well. Uh, uh, no, no sharing of DNA. Are we sure about that? Uh, <laughs> without, without our parents. You know what? Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, I had to go there. I couldn't. I could not go there. I had no, to go there. Let's let's get weird early. Let's get weird early. <laughs> Just set the tone. Just set the tone early, and then we'll go from there. Right. Um. So yeah, Greg is. We've known each other since I was nine years old. Um, mm-hmm. I'm 35 now, so that gives you an idea of how long that we have we have been friends. We have been through hell and back, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's just been. I haven't really got much of a chance to talk to you since the pandemic. I mean, you got two little ones, and um, I do. You know, it's crazy because I like I have never met your second son. Like I haven't seen him. I haven't mm-hmm. been there, and that's crazy to say. Like we don't live that far apart, but um, I mean, I understand, stand why we uh, you know, one thousand percent, you know, had some issues, but um. So where are you feeling, man? Where 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 are you at in where are you at in life? Uh, what's going on? Like, catch me up. Oh, oh well, like you said, um, you know, I'm, I'm on I'm on kid number two now, who just turned a year old. Uh, I guess about three weeks ago at this point. So uh, that's my youngest, Desmond. Uh, he's 
He's a little over a year old at this point. Uh, Ben is four now, which is odd. It's odd to say that I have a four-year-old kid, Um, but that's still really cool at the same time. uh, Being a, being a father of two is definitely an interesting experience and uh, I love it. I mean, it's, it's fantastic that, you know, the both of them have their own really distinct personalities and, you know, Ben is a little bit more specific, likes things a specific way. And Des is just like happy to be here. He's just like smiling all the time. He's like, I'm just, I'm just good with life, man. Like, this is great. I got, I got some avocado. I got some frozen fried, you know, freeze dry strawberries. I'm good to go. Like life is great. <laughs> um, uh, you know, Life is life is decent for the most part. I mean, you know, outside the the basic aches and pains and and getting older. You know, you talked about being thirty five. I'll be I'll be thirty seven this year, which makes me feel real old. Um, but ultimately, yeah, it's uh, it's certainly certainly interesting. Uh, just to kind of give your listeners an idea about you know what I'm what I'm about. I work as a mental health therapist, so you can imagine working as a mental health therapist during the pandemic brings its own set of unique challenges. Uh, for certain. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been an interesting ride because, you know, we're obviously doing this uh, over video conferencing. Half of my sessions that I do now are video conference, which has been an interesting development over the past year or so, but we're starting to get people back in person now. And um, yeah, it's, you know, we're trying to find some semblance of normalcy in what is still a pretty chaotic time. It's it's funny that you say that because I actually um, my therapist <laughs> that I that I have right now I've never met her in real life, and we're all already about to like switch off to to a new one because uh, I I go through um, through a program in, in Drexel and they have a lot of I end up doing a lot of my work with with students we have one constant person that's there. And the rest is like graduate students and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. And we've definitely made that. I made that joke a lot. Like between you and Ed, it was like my two best friends work in mental health and I'm me. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> That's not fair. Well, be, be a little kinder to yourself. <laughs> oh, I am kind to myself. I don't mind that. Like, you know, I'm a little off sometimes, but. Uh, you know, let's go with eccentric. Eccentric is the word I would use. Okay, yeah, I I, th- I would go with eccentric. I I appreciate that. I think um, I I I think that this last year or so has been like quite eye opening though for for what's been going on with with me. But um, how yeah. so? Um. Believe it or not, I actually like worked through some stuff with my dad. Um, that whole situation. Um, I came to some some conclusions, you know, with my with my mom, like some parenting stuff. Um, I kind of figured out why, how I developed a lot of my personality, and in okay. ways that I I didn't even I didn't even realize that this is what I was doing. But like you know. Part of the 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 twelve step program is is figuring out like your character defects and stuff, and um, basically where they come from. Um, and the character defects isn't necessarily a, a bad word, but you know it's just like the the things that make you tick in a in you know. But um, 
And it was funny because my sponsor had me talk about something that happened when I was six. It's like your first memory. And I told him and he was like, oh, um, and you probably could have told me this a long time ago. He was like, oh, so at an early age, you decided that you can't trust authority. And, and as soon as he said that, like, I saw that shit play through every, every inch of my life, even through like up until currently. And it's, and the way that I always described it is like, you know, people always were like, I remember bosses. Why do you always ask why? And my mom is, why do you always ask why? It's like, cause I want to know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and that it has a purpose. And because at an early age, I was told to do things that, and I did them and I didn't feel they had a purpose. So now I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing stuff unless it has a purpose. Well, and, and part of why you and I connected so much in the way that we did is I think outside of some of the, the shared interests and commonalities that we had just through a variety of different pop culture related things, I think there was this general distrust of maybe not necessarily all authority figures, but definitely ones that were trying to get us to act a certain way or be a certain way. And, you know, obviously there's, there's plenty of inside jokes that you and I have had over the decades that, that kind of, you know, are, are, are veiled notions of that for sure. Uh, but ultimately I do think I recognized early on. And it's funny because I, I say this to my, my clients, whenever I'm dealing with some of my young adult clients, that when I was a kid, I was an asshole. And if anybody's going to know that, you're going to know that better than pretty much anybody. Uh, and, I, and I readily admit that, that I was not the most difficult. I was not the most easy student to have in the classroom, not because I was, you know, a bad kid, but because I was, you know, bored most of the time. And I wanted somebody to challenge me. And I used to just challenge the teachers just for fun and ultimately just be like, you know, there were things that I can remember saying to teachers that I... I don't even know what would happen to a kid if they said that now, but I remember saying to a teacher, you know, you're not smarter than me. You've just been here longer. And like, can you imagine somebody saying that to a teacher now? Like, I don't know what kind of shitstorm that would, you know, ultimately start, but like, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I certainly understand that distrust of authority. And again, that's stuff with my own dad and, and kind of that lack of kind of in, in a relationship with him that was anything more than kind of distant and superficial uh, I'd always just had a general, a general distrust of power figures, probably for similar reasons. Yeah. Um, I definitely can concur with that. Like I, the more I think about who, like my childhood, I was just like, God damn, I, I was an asshole. <laughs> and um, I, I feel like at every point in, in like a child's life, they'll probably be an asshole at every point in someone's life. Um, and maybe it goes in phases. Cause I know like that year after my grandmother died that next year or two, actually, I was not a good person. I was not a good person. I wasn't good to myself. I wasn't good to the people around me. I wasn't good to anybody. Cause it was like, I just lost the one person in my life. And my, and like, you know, this, my grandmother was my grounding force throughout most of my life. And like, once I lost that, I didn't know what to do. Um, yeah. luckily, and, I can, and I can certainly, I can empathize with that in as much as that's kind of how I felt 
obviously to a lesser extent because it happened when I was much older. But when my mom passed a couple of years ago, it was kind of in the same headspace of, you know, I'm a full-time therapist at this point. I recognize the stages. I know what I'm going through. And I still could feel myself shutting down and just distancing and avoiding people and just isolating as a whole. And then as I started pulling myself out of that, the pandemic hit. So it was like, it's, I'm still dealing with the after effects of something which of what you're talking about, about your grandma. Yeah. I mean, and like, I don't, it wasn't, I, my grandma only passed like, I say only, uh, it was five years ago, even though it still feels like it was yesterday to me. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't too much younger, but it was like, and at that time in my, like, dude, I think about that time in my life too now, and I'm only what, two, three years removed from it. No, uh, maybe like four years removed from it. I've been, I've been back here for almost five years. Jesus, that went quick. Yep. <laughs> um, but like, I think back at that time of my, my life and it's just like, like I cringe at some of the things that I didn't said to people and like, um, the greatest thing that I heard and it kind of, so one thing that kind of keeps people going in, in like, you know, the addiction I found out is like all of that guilt and stuff that like, oh, I can't believe I said that. And I'm sitting here thinking and playing over this shit and it just compounds. And this guy once said everything that you did before you, uh, before you got sober, um, you can plead insanity. And like, Cause like, that's not who you are. And, I, and like, once you said that, it's like every time, like things that we used to make me almost cry. Like I plead insanity. And then like, I'll be laughing at it. I'll be like, I can't believe I was that crazy. Like, and, and not only that, but it's, it's also learning. It's the art of letting go and the ability to be able to recognize that the person I am, uh, you know, under the influence of, of anything, let alone just, you know, substance use, you know, addiction is obviously more than just substance use. There's process addictions as well, but the version of yourself that is fully in what you're dealing with, it is learning about how to let go. And that guilt, that grief, that shame that's built into all of that is really, really the thing that holds you under. Yes. The addiction has its own problems and its own complications, but it's the continued raking over the coals of shame and guilt and grief and, and all of those things that we deal with that we don't have a healthy relationship with, that we're learning how to build a healthy relationship with. And addiction keeps us from being able to do that. And, and so ultimately, yes, to a certain extent, I agree with that thought process. I think it's even more complicated than that in that we just have a difficult time accepting who we used to be and letting it go. Yeah, there's that. And then there's that whole, that, that whole uh, process of, of realizing like, like, this is who I, who I am now. And there are those things that you kind of try to hide or not hide, but like try to reconcile. Yeah. Or just try to reconcile with like, um, you know, I made the joke that we would talk about my 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 love for Jordan Peterson and politics, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, always a hot, always a hot button topic, and I try to stay out of it, bro. I saw you like that cringe thing that John posted, and I was just like, <laughs> we we need to talk about this. Because <laughs> here's, here's 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 my here's my thing on that whole topic, and you know me, I, I throw gas on fire because it's what I do, and. 
my ultimate viewpoint is, is yes. Do I think that some of his motivations are clouded and problematic? Yes. But ultimately we're all just kind of looking for something in the world to keep us going. And honestly, are the views archaic at certain points? Yes. Ultimately, is he responsible for the people that believe in him so wholeheartedly that go and do challenging things in his name? Like, no, he's not responsible for that. And, and I'm ultimately of the mindset that, you know, it's, it's, it's simply my issue with him is more, he's a lot of the challenges that I have with my psychology as a whole, which is it kind of makes those of us that are kind of on the, the boots on the ground doing the work. We see them like, it's almost like charlatans. Like, it's like, we're doing the work, we're putting in the time. And yes, he's like doing these speaking tours and he's profiting off of what we're trying to do in terms of, you know, again, we have to profit too, because it's a job and I'm not completely just like white knighting, like fighting the good fight, but ultimately like we are trying to make things better. And I ultimately, I, I get confused as to whether that's his complete motivation or not. So, um, from, all right. I, this is the first, like, not the first time, but like this, this um, pop psychology thing is, is new. It's a new phrase to me. And I guess in a way that's, well, not in a way, I guess like Dr. Phil would fit into that. Um, oh, hundred percent. But, but like, so with somebody like Brene, somebody with somebody like Brene Brown, who's very well respected. I love Brene Brown. So Brene Brown is fantastic, but that's still pop because pop psychology is just popular psychology. She just happens to be one of the positive, effective, more grounded progenitors of it. But it's still popular psychology. Like it's and again, I'm not saying that necessarily to denigrate it from therapists that are in practice and, and doing the work, whether that's addictions counselors or, you know, private practitioners or community mental health professionals. It's not about that. It's more just it, it, the motivation for why it's done gets clouded once you start profiting off of people's well-being and self-care. It's a, it's a difficult balance to have between doing good and making good. It's, it's, it can be a little gross. I, so on that note, like, yeah, I get that. And that makes sense. And from my experience, like a lot of like treatment centers – uh, for substances are doing the exact same thing. Like they're, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that. You know, like the, the idea behind it is, is good. Like, yes, people need to go to, to treatment and the people that want to be there need to be there and be able to, 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 to learn these things about themselves. But some of them are just like, like the first two that I went to was nothing but like, it was like going to camp, you know what I mean? Like beautiful mm -hmm. campuses and like they had the gyms there and like kind of got wrapped up in stuff like that, you know? All sizzled, no steak. Right. So the third one I went to, uh, so there have been four in, in total. So the third one I went to, I got there and they were like, yeah, there's no gym or anything like that. None of the frills. It was in the middle of Chester. And I was like, oh, thank God. Like, I'm actually going to focus this time. Like, I really didn't want. I was hoping against hope that they wouldn't put me in a place that was nice. I didn't want any of that. And um, I feel like I got the most out of that. And they're actually the ones that put me on the, the track 
to doing DBT, which has been a life changer for me. Yeah, DBT, uh, dialectic behavioral therapy, I don't know if this is things that you've talked about on podcasts or in any other kind of forum, Uh, offshoot of cognitive behavioral therapy, focusing on the concepts of dialectics, two thoughts diametrically opposed can be true at the same time, along with change being ever present, then the four core components and yada, yada, yada. Marshall Linehan, progenitor, you can go read about it. But DBT um, is super effective. Now, they're starting to kind of do some of the tests on addiction, but it's mostly for borderline personality disorder. And they're starting to kind of make it a little bit more workable for trauma as well. Uh, But it it was initially created by Linehan for borderline personality disorder as an offshoot of CBT. And DBT is fantastic. Um, I have a decent amount of friends who work for the primary DBT service down here in South Jersey. Um, It's it's a fantastic service. Uh, And yeah, it's really beneficial. And the principles that I use in my own treatment, uh, specifically when we're talking about, you know, communication building and, and interpersonal effectiveness, kind of just mindfulness, exercise training, uh, emotion reg, you know, stuff like that in terms of the emotion reg models, uh, distress tolerance. Yeah, those are the four main components and I use all of them in my treatment. So yeah, it's really effective and it's really helpful. Yeah, I mean, and it really depends on on who you are too. Like, cause I'm, a lot of people take a lot of different things out of it. Like for me, the mindfulness part isn't really like my forte. Like, I mean, like I have those moments where I, you know, where I notice like how beautiful things are around me and how like awesome the city is and, and, and things like that. And I'll start noticing like the breeze and the colors. Um, but for the most part, I am so focused on like my task at hand and I'm always thinking about something that needs to be done. Um, the distress tolerance portion though, like that's the part that like, I would say for someone in like in addiction, that was the part of that, that really helped me uh, because, you know, I, I will champion anyone trying to get, to get clean and trying to change their life around, but I will not bullshit you. It is hard. It was, it is the hardest thing like your first eight nine months being sober like life is is a shit <laughs> well not shit like i'd say about like it's it's, it's uncomfortable it's, it's yeah, a very it's very. a very uncomfortable time and having done that work for a number of years for one of the the, the iop php programs intensive outpatient partial hospitalization programs down here in Southern New Jersey as well. I worked a lot of, you know, dual diagnosis, substance use, mental health with young adults, kids that were in colleges and kids of that age group. Um, I was getting them right out of rehab. I was getting them three to six months sober and difficult times for them. And this was their first go round. And, you know, it's not like their fifth their sixth their seventh time. Once you're getting into your late twenties and early thirties, the, the, you know, Going into that stages of change cycle, the more you relapse, hopefully the more you learn, but ultimately the harder it becomes to deal with all of the discomfort and all the shame that comes with it. So it's an incredibly uncomfortable process, at least for the first year. Yeah. And, you know, it's, 
I think the hardest part and why the distress tolerance comes is because the hardest part is sitting with those, with those feelings and those emotions that you never like. So I started smoking weed at 16. Right. And I realized Man, only 16. I thought I, I, I was going to say I was younger than that. That's interesting. No, actually um, we can cut this out if you want. My first time smoking weed was with you four days after my 16th birthday. Remember you took me to Tim. Yeah, because because yeah, because I was already I was already a good year, year and a half in because I, I started probably end of eighth grade, beginning of freshman year. That was right around the time because that was when I started hanging out with, you know, Timmy and all those guys was well, probably closer to the end of freshman, beginning of sophomore year. But I was I had been smoking weed before that. Um, well, God, I've been drinking since I was like 10 or 11. So, like, I mean, I, you know, you talk about the substance use piece and that was something that plagued me through high school and college, you know, probably my first year or two post-college even, um, probably till I was about 22, 23. And, you know, you know, for myself, I never got that kind of help. Ultimately I white knuckled it and, and did the best that I could to try and avoid it. And I think part of that had to do with, you know, I, I had a good support system around me in terms of, you know, my family. And that was really helpful specifically, you know, my older brother, and that was something that I, I wouldn't have been able to to manage all of that without him. And, and, and people that I was dating at the time were super helpful as well. Uh, I've always had always tried to surround myself with a good group of people because as I've learned at being a therapist and being on the other side of this, uh, that support system is key in helping you maintain your focus and your discipline and your self-care when you're unable to do it yourself. Like and that that support system is so huge. And that's been something that throughout my life has been intermittently helpful and problematic. And, and I know you recognize that as well, uh, that it's difficult when your support system isn't as helpful as you'd like them to be. And you're not in a place to be able to help yourself fully and wholeheartedly. Right. Yeah. I. So I think one of the reasons that like I connected with, with uh, the programs so much in the 12 step fellowships is because my, I don't, I never really had the greatest support system. Like God bless my mom. She did the best she could, but like, you know, as you know, the youngest child, there are four of us. She's a single mom. One of my sisters is special needs. And it's the one that was right above me. So you know, one of my earliest memories, actually my very earliest memory, and I still remember this to this day, I was like two or three years old. And, um, you know, my my sister, one of her, part of her um, developmental delay is epilepsy. And I remember throwing myself on the floor and shaking because my mom wouldn't pay attention to me and I needed her or wanted her attention for something. And she just kind of like kicked me and brushed me off. Like, you know, not like super kicked me or anything. Like, you know, like a parent, like get up off, you know, the, off the top rope, top rope, drop kick, like a drop <laughs> yeah. kick, just missile drop kick right off the table. So, yeah. So like, I can I see would, Eunice, I can see Eunice doing that. Yeah, I could too. <laughs> I probably have. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so like, yeah. So, you know, I learned early on, my my thing early on became don't be a burden you know and and just kind of like go it alone which and, jo- 
which showed early in our friendship and, and throughout kind of, you know, grade school into, into junior high, even into high school a little bit. I think by the time high school came around, I think there was a little bit more self-assurance and a little bit more like I'm trying to own who I am. But I think very much because, again, you know, we spent a lot of those years in terms of grade school and, and junior high, you know, hanging out, spending time together. And I think I, I saw a lot of that because, again, I didn't really know about Kimmy maybe late junior high. I didn't talk about her. I, I really yeah, didn't. I want to say I would say maybe late junior high because I don't I, again, I you know, going to your house was not something that we did very often. And I know that that was something you were, you know, sensitive about for yourself. And, you know, I, I understood and respected that. And, you know, I certainly got that completely. Uh, but, but yeah, I didn't know about Kimmy until well into God, five, six years into our friendship. And, you know, you start, and again, when you're so young, you don't quite understand how all the pieces fit together. And as I gotten older and I've understood family dynamics and I've understood how I became the way that I was based off of how I grew up, you do start to see like, okay, that, that makes a ton of sense. And, and I did think about kind of that relationship between, you know, your, your older sister and brother and then Kimmy and then you. Um, and feeling like, yeah, like I'm, I'm constantly being the one who's, you know, getting the short end of the stick here. Yeah. And, uh, and at the end, like, you know, it is funny though, because at a certain point around that time, like I think junior high is when I really, it's, it's kind of like when I kind of had to grow up a little bit and it's, it's also that time where I feel like I lost a lot of, um, I, I missed out on, on a lot of, of, of key elements of like learning what it is to be a man and be kind of like socialized with, with our group of people. Cause while like a lot of people were out doing things and kind of like experimenting and finding yeah, like finding these things out, I had to run straight home and watch my sister, you know, mm-hmm. um, because my brother and my brother and sister, the older ones wouldn't do it. So, and they were like playing sports and stuff. Uh, so I got comfortable and this played out in a lot of my relationships too. Like I got comfortable being relied upon and not like being relied upon and being like, not, um, how do I say it? Like not a priority at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, so like I would, I, I can recall, being in like some toxic situations where it's like you like you really think you're gonna hurt my feelings you can't say anything to me that like my sister hasn't already said to me you know like and just being like I don't need much to be happy like I learned because like I never had much and stuff like that and um the crazy simultaneously simultaneously it also comes to a point where if something isn't going your way or if if you know the relationship becomes problematic did you do you find yourself thinking like i'm not going to put up with this shit i'm not going to put up with this i'm not going to put up with being taken advantage of or did you find yourself going like the need for companionship and the desire to not be alone kind of supersedes my willingness to put up with bullshit 
it does to a point. Um, so I'm the classic, like, put it down. Maybe it's not what I think. Maybe it's not what I think. Like, I need that thing thrown in my face to be like, all right, we're done. And like, it just kind of like explodes out of me. And like, and that's where a lot of like my, my, like a lot of guilt and, and, um, and regrets come out of those. A lot of the things that I said in those explosions where, and I have to take my part in it because I didn't draw the clear boundary. You know, I didn't say this is not okay. This is bothering me. Or when I did say this is not okay. And this is bothering me. I always backed off a little bit. Right. Um, Because yeah. And part of that was, was that like, if I set this boundary, like she's going to leave. Right. And now it's like, I'm just kind of like dipping a toe back into like the dating world. Like, you know, I never really had like a, like any like long relationships or anything like that. Um, and in a way, Corona was, was a blessing because, you know, I, one of the reasons that I was always out drinking is because I needed, I needed to be around people. I thought I needed to be around people. I thought people like, it was just what I needed to do. I grew up in a crowded house. Um, there were always people around and I was always needed. And it's funny. It's funny you say that because I grew up in a pretty sparse home. Obviously, it was just my brother and my mom, and my mom would be working. And once my brother got to high school, he was off doing his own thing. So early on, I was either spending a lot of time by myself, or then once my mom got remarried, I was spending a lot of time with just me and my stepbrother. And I spent a lot of my childhood alone. And that was, you know, and I would, you know, I had friends and I had you and, you know, obviously Ed, who you mentioned, and then, you know, groups of friends that I flitted in and out of through junior high and high school. But a majority of my private time was by myself. And that, and it's interesting that you say that because I think that was part of the reason why I tend to be so socially avoidant is because I like being by myself. I didn't always historically, but I enjoy being by myself. And the, it's, and the thing that you mentioned about coronavirus and, and the whole the COVID stuff is like, I actually find myself like wanting to hang out with people now, which for 36 years of my life, I don't think has ever happened. Well, see, and I'm, I, I went the opposite way because like I, at first I was like, what the fuck? Everything's shutting down. Then I spent a couple of days. Like I was like, fuck it. I'm going to get into these, like these creative projects, like the podcast um, making, I got into like, hard into like trying to get into filmmaking body camera and all that stuff um and i had all of these songs that i had written because i like while i was away i learned how to play guitar a little bit and so i was like all right i'm gonna pour my time into this and then it went from i need to spend all this time with people to i haven't talked to anybody today and it is 9 p.m mm-hmm and it's, this and is it's and, nice. And the, and, and, and the flip and the flip side, the flip side of that is so a couple of weeks into uh, COVID lockdown uh, last year, um, two guys that I went to college with, uh, Scott and Chris, you know them both, but they're they're guys that I worked at the radio station with when I was at college in New Jersey, and we started talking about um, my, my buddy Scott is a big fan of Andrew Bird. And he was talking about the Andrew Bird album from 2019, which would have been the, you know, the year prior and was talking about just, you know, how 
know, magnificent that was and how much he loved it. And we, the three of us hadn't really been talking about music that much in previous years. And it was really nice to do that. And we came up with the idea of starting a music appreciation group because now we've got all of this free time that we're just kind of sitting around, not really doing much. So like, hey, let's make the most of it. So then over the course of the next couple of weeks, we set up this whole WhatsApp chat. We initially did it through Facebook. So I'm giving you guys free plugs. You're welcome. And then, you know, ultimately landed in WhatsApp and it's nine of us. And we've been doing it for the past year and we drop an album a day, except for now we don't drop on Sundays because it got to be too much, especially with things going back to normal ish quotation marks. And we just drop an album a day and we appreciate the album and we're, we dropped album 345 last night. So like we're, we're almost 350 albums into doing this actually might be 347 now that we're regardless, we're almost at 350 albums that we've listened to in a little over a year. So like where you're talking about like, wow, I haven't really talked to anybody since 9 PM. I've sent more text messages through WhatsApp in the past year than I had in my entire life before that. That's great. Well, so that whole thing, is that just a good, I, I was under the impression that uh, album consumers was a podcast. So, so the thing is, so initially started as a group of nine guys. So my older brother, Dan, who I mentioned earlier, is a part of that. So Dan, Scott, Chris, and then another guy, Jimmy, who's a um, writer for the LA times, his book line of sight came out a couple of years ago. It's really good. Go check it out. Wow. Um, He's actually got another book going out. He's got another book coming out later this year, but I don't want to blow up his spot. But James Quelly, he's a writer. He's really good. Check him out. Um, and then, you know, a couple of guys that uh, they're like mutual friends of, of my friend Scott, uh, another friend from my brother. So there's nine of us. We started as a WhatsApp chat. And then around season five, season six, so we do them in seasons, 36 albums a season. There's nine of us. We do four rounds, 36 albums. Math is awesome. And then at the end of those, at the end of a season, we'll do a like March Madness tournament and there's a winner at the end. But around season six, we started doing a podcast called the Album Consumers Podcast. We're on a little bit of a hiatus right now, just because again, we're trying to get back to normal. Life is busy. But you know, for the most part, yeah, it's just, you know, it's a bunch of us. We take the albums from the week and we just kind of bullshit about it. It's me, Scott and Chris. And, you know, it's a good time. It's fun. That's, that's great. Like I actually, it's funny because like, I wanted to do something similar to that, like in addition to this podcast, like sort of like a video thing where I, um, I couldn't really think about how I, how I would do it with, um, you know, cause I actually kind of wanted to play clips of the songs, but with, with people that I have a specific connection with like this person and this band and, or this person in this album. And like, Hey, if it's, as long as it's on Spotify, about. you can, as long as it's on Spotify, you can use the dedicated app and you can use the music. I actually do uh, put, put things out on, um, I put it out on, uh, on, um, on anchor 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 is anchor. the, the sponsor of, of this channel too. So um, I do those plugs usually separately. <laughs> to be, um, hey, you know what? I'll give them one. I'll give them one right now. We'll just give them a free. Yeah, there you go. You're welcome. Yeah, it's free. Go get your 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 podcast at, at Anchor, and you can make money just as long as people listen to your ads. I've made about fifteen cents, so thank you guys. <laughs> yeah, but but so so yeah, so we do um we do the Album Consumers Podcast. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple. It's on Stitcher. Um, yeah, and you know we have all the synergy. Album Consumers on Twitter. Album Consumers on Instagram. We do it through 
Facebook, got the whole full thing. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good time. And, and ultimately it's, it's really developed my appreciation back for music because prior to the pandemic and after my first son was born, I was listening to music a little bit, but for the most part, I got really into podcasts, got into like pop culture podcasts, sports, movies, music, hadn't really been listening to a lot of music. I just became a dad. I just started listening to talk radio all the time. I was just like, you know what? Music is just like, I'm not even like, I'm not even paying attention to you. I just like, I'm, I'm like a step away from NPR. Like that's where I'm at right now in my life. Like I just, I like to sit with like a, a nice drink and a podcast and just fall asleep halfway through because I'm an old man. Believe it or not, like I, like when I started this, I was not in a podcast and I have found myself, I became a bit of a like a YouTube-aholic and through that I started like like rabbit holing and, and I ended up on, on a few podcasts that I'm like really enjoying. And you know what two of them are um, that like, so first I got into the knuckleheads a little bit, but I stopped listening to them. But like, I, I still go back and let, I, I love that first thing, uh, listening to the stories of like the first person to bust your ass. When, <laughs> mm. um, oh my God. There are some great stories on there. Uh, the I don't know I like I had heard the name Gilbert Arenas and I knew who he was I am of Washington Wizards fame yes I am fascinated by that man uh the no chill podcast he's an interesting dude is amazing and like Matt Barnes and all the smoke with Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson and um I just started getting into uh I am athlete which is okay like, do you know who's all on that? Mm-mm. It's so I am athlete is Brandon Marshall, Channing Crowder, Fred Taylor, the running back, Fred Taylor from, mm-hmm. yeah, from Buffalo, Jacksonville, Jacksonville. Yeah. Or, 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 or Fred, yeah. Yeah. Fred, Fred Taylor's Jacksonville, Fred Jackson's Buffalo. So it's either one of those two. And, um, Chad Johnson. Those are okay. the four, the four people, and every now and then they bring like other people. That's an odd. That's that's an odd group, man. Not gonna Bruh, lie, that's an odd group. It is. It is. It's it's yo Channing Crowder. Like I knew he was a football player. Yo, that dude is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> he is the funniest. Like probably like the funniest um, podcaster. But like yeah, I just kind of like same thing. Found myself just I started listening, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. Let's see what they have to say, and then like down 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 the rabbit hole i went and now i i listen to podcast on on a reg it's so it's it's so funny because i remember so i started listening to podcasts in 2007 so it's 2021 now and the first podcast i listened to is one of the more popular podcasts out there which is the bill simmons podcast but it used to be the bs report when he was on espn so i've been listening to that for 14 years and obviously he's gone through all of this stuff with ESPN and Grantland, and now he's at The Ringer. And that's a bunch of the podcasts that I listen to. So there's one that they do that's a movie podcast that's called The Big Picture. I think that that one's fantastic. They do more like Oscar films, but they have uh, things called movie drafts, which are fantastic. Like it's um, Sean Fennessy, Amanda Dobbins are the two that host. And then there's a guy from the local area, from the Philly area, uh, Chris Ryan. And what they do is they'll have like a snake draft, like you would in a fantasy football draft, but they'll do it for movie years and they'll do it with categories of like drama, action, sequel. And they, I just listened to one from the 1984 movie year. So like, that's got like Beverly Hills cop, the Terminator, 
Like, it's just like, that's like a fantastic movie year. And of course, it's the year I was born. So special place in my heart. Uh, but like, I'll listen to stuff like that. But then I'll also listen to like the psychology of video games, which is, uh, you know, a guy who's a, a writer and a compiler of um, video game articles who bring like mental health professionals in and they'll talk about like, what is the importance of grief and loss in the, in the, in the Link and Zelda games? Or they'll talk about what is the importance of family in Final Fantasy. Like they'll wow. like really dive into psychological concepts on video gaming, which is something that I'm really passionate about. And it's something that I'm looking to do some doctoral work in. Uh, so like that's some stuff that I find that that's really interesting. Um, yeah. And then, and yet then I'll find myself listening to like D and D campaigns that are done in podcast form. Like, I just like, I listen to like all the weird shit. Like I love like weird podcast shit. Cause it's like, if you love anything, you can find a podcast on it. Obviously the true crime stuff and, and all of the serial killer documentary stuff. And like all that stuff is, there's a whole section of the podcast that are just for that literally find anything. And I just think it's such an incredible medium. You know, I think it's a more useful way to present your personality and who you are as a person, as opposed to some of the social media outlets, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, whatever the case may be. That's true. And it's, it's a lot more digestible than, than like a book or a magazine article for whatever reason. Thank you again for listening. Be sure to keep an eye out for part two of this interview, as well as an interview with the band Autumn Revival out of New York. For information on upcoming and past shows, visit www.beyondthestaticpodcast.tk. You can follow on all the major social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, the name is Beyond the Static Podcast. On Twitter, the handle is BTS Podcast. And you can support the show by buying me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash beyondthestatic. And make sure to join the mailing list for new content sent directly to your inbox. Thank you again for tuning in. Have a wonderful morning, evening, or afternoon. I'll see you next time.